Good morning, College Park family. This is Pastor Brad, and I'm so privileged to uh, have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this week. Um, I have to say, I didn't think that my first time preaching with College Park would be in this format, but I'm excited to share with you regardless. Please join me in prayer as we prepare to engage in God's Word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you show us through your Word and through your Spirit that you prepare our hearts to know what it means to be a people of good works for you. I pray that we can bear good fruit as your disciples and that we can be great ambassadors for you, King Jesus. And may you uh, use this message today. I pray that none of these words be of my own, but they be what you need them to be. And I pray that you speak to all of our hearts as you teach us today. Amen. So we're going on a journey today to see what it means to be a people of good works. Now, before we start, I want to let you know that good works do not earn us salvation, but they are a fruit of salvation. Salvation comes only by placing our faith in the risen Christ. But good works will result, will be a result of this faith that we do have. I just wanted to clear the air a little bit with that before we get started because I don't want to miscommunicate something that um, there are things that we can do that can earn us salvation. It is only by God's grace that we do attain that. So let us explore God's word together. Uh, today we are going to be starting in Titus 3. That is going to be the main focus of the passage, Titus chapter 3 verses 1 through 11. And I will be using the English Standard Version, uh, which will be on the slides here. But please do follow along with me in whatever translation you have available if you'd like to highlight and take notes. I'll give you a quick minute to get there. And you don't have to follow along with me for this passage, but we are going to be in uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40 real quick before we get there. But uh, I would just focus on getting to the Titus passage. We are talking about the good work that we as Christians are obligated to do. This good work is rooted in loving God and loving others, as Jesus addresses in his answers to the Pharisees in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. To set the context for you, in Paul's letter to Titus, he is reminding Titus that it is his responsibility, as it is of any pastor, to tell the church he serves at to be good citizens to their communities. Titus was serving in Crete, and the Cretan church, they had some issues with being good citizens to their communities, displaying the good works. And as a disclaimer, I'm not saying that any of us are doing a poor job of being good citizens in our communities, but I want to share from God's word how we can do that better and do it best so that we can serve Huntington and the world around us um, to the max and giving God our best in everything we do. But just to encourage you, I think that College Park is doing very well at being good citizens and being neighborly. Especially during this COVID-19 crisis, there are so many of you on our care team who are doing the work of Christ for people in need during this time. And I want to commend you for that. And anybody who's listening, if you do need something from College Park, we do have a care team that does 
help adhere to whatever needs that um, you may have. If you can't get out to the grocery store, um, give us a shout and we'll be happy to uh, help you in whatever ways that we can. So now back to Paul. What Paul tells Titus in his letter is still very relevant to us as a church today. Much of what Paul says in this letter is a reminder to us on how we ought to be when we assume the name as a Christ follower. And when I was reading this, preparing for this message, I realized that I also needed to be reminded of what God says through his word in Paul's letter to Titus. I hope I've given you enough time to turn here, so please do read with me as we start in Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So let's take a closer look, step-by-step, uh, step going through this passage, uh, specifically focusing on verses 1 through 3. Remind them is the first thing that Paul says. This implies that the Cretans had already been instructed in these things before. To be submissive to authorities and rulers, to be ready for every good work. Not to speak evil, quarrel, but to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. All people. Not some people, but all. Something happened where the Cretan church forgot these things that were told to them. Paul says we used to be this way. Once foolish, disobedient, slaves to passions and pleasures. We're hated by others, and we hated others. This is clearly not a way that ones who call themselves a part of Christ, this is not how they should be living. It is fruitless. So moving on to verses 4 through 8, Paul follows verses 1 through 3 by giving us a but. 
And he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared, he saved us. And not because of our works, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Goodness, loving kindness, and mercy are all representations of God's grace extended to us. Regeneration means to be born again washed from our sins by Christ's actions on the cross. And we are renewed in the Holy Spirit. So if you have, if we have then had all these things happen to us, why do we still act in ways that contradict how we ought to act? In verse 8, he says to insist on, on these things so those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Good works are excellent and profitable for all people. But Paul gives us another but in verse 9, so we have two cheeks to sit on now. But avoid controversies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Paul says these things are worthless and unprofitable because the division is created over no good reason. We think to ourselves, oh, I don't divide over no good reason. I usually have a reason why I'm really angry at somebody. Going back to Roger's sermon on forgiveness last week, we come up with reasons that aren't justifiable because we're frustrated or because we're ins- we insist that we're right. We think to ourselves, oh, I'm not divisive for no reason. Yet we as an American culture ostracize those who vote differently than us, look differently than us, and in the church, those who even baptize and worship in a different style than we do. We are just as bad as Crete, and it's nobody's fault but our own. And this doesn't fall down to an entire individual. This follows down on us as the global church. We have a responsibility. We need to be purified as the bride of Christ, and we need to be willing to submit and let our Savior do that. We think of people we know immediately when we think of divisions like this. I'm going to echo a couple of points that Roger mentioned about forgiveness last week through here. Verses 10 and 11 in Titus 3 say, As a person, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I don't want to say this, but each one of us has done this at some point in our lives. Even as a Christian, we have horribly represented the image and the badge of Christ because we have caused divisions among our own brothers and sisters in the church, and then even flowing outside of the church. Regarding a person who has offended us, we can get behind the idea that we can drop them like a New Year's Eve ball with 10 seconds to go. That's easy, because we feel like we've won that argument, and our justice has been dealt with, it's been paid by them. The person we're offended by met the requirement so we can say, see you later. I don't think that's what God's calling us to do. There is an underlying problem here, though. We hold grudges and count strikes against people and hold all these things in without even telling them. Last week, Roger quoted Andy Stanley along the lines of, I want the mercy for me and the justice for the guy I don't like. We think so much like that. We get offended and then say nothing to them. And if we do say something, we often do not give them a chance 
to defend themselves or even reflect on what we've brought to them because they may be unaware. Because we complain to other people about it. We're going around them and we're gossiping and that's wrong. We do not take into consideration that this person might not have intended to, to offend us. We just carry bitterness and we quarrel and we gossip. And we're called to a better standard than that. Jesus gives us a different message than this. He says in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to the witnesses, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Basically what this means, Gentiles were pagan non-Jewish people, and tax collectors were people who ripped people off and gave more money to the Roman Empire and in their own pockets. Pretty, pretty gruesome people that we want to avoid. Even though we as the Gentiles were later grafted in during this New Testament time. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So the underlying problem is that we often misuse this process. We don't do it in the right order. We don't give our brothers and sisters a chance to repent as we should be doing. We should be encouraging them and trying to help them get through whatever that is, whether the offense was toward us or somebody else. We don't want to leave them in their behavior. And us going around and gossiping and telling people about, about it, it's one thing to talk to somebody in process so you can approach the person. But if you're saying slanderous things about them and they have no idea what they did to you, we've got to do better than that. I am guilty of doing this improperly, and I will be the first to tell you it sickens me that I've broke trust with a brother or sister because I did not properly approach them about their wrong to me. These are not easy conversations to have, but they always bear good fruit. And when done properly, whether you gain your brother or sister or not, we have done what is instructed by the Lord and we responded in obedience to what he instituted in Matthew 18. We've done our part, and that's all we can do. I also want to share uh, with you a personal experience where I did not apply Matthew 18 and Titus 3 properly in my life, so you don't think I'm just coming out and condemning you, because that's not my job, that's not my goal. I have been a campus ministries coordinator uh, in Wright Hall at Huntington University for three years. This is the best three years of my life I was able to uh, walk alongside guys that I lived with every day and explore what it means more and more to be intentional disciples of Jesus Christ. So essentially, my job is a floor chaplain. And when we were on campus, we would have weekly floor worships where we gather together as a floor. We would study the Bible. We would talk about current events as needed. We would pray together. We would worship together. Um, and this would depend on what we all as a group would decide to do. So I found myself in a situation my first year, uh, early on in the year, during one of my floor worships a couple years ago, where I started a discussion asking how we could be better community members to one another. How can we be better citizens? 
And I asked my residents what we could do to improve the continuity and community on our floor starting out before we went out to the entire campus. And it quickly turned, without their intention, but it quickly turned into guys who were at the floor worship saying how obnoxious, loud, and disrespectful a few members were on our floor who were not present at that floor worship meeting. I tried to move past that quickly and change the topic, but it got a lot of steam and it turned into a great amount of slander toward a group of guys, our own guys, that were not there to defend themselves. As the conversation stewed in this pot of muck, one finally spoke up and said, Enough! Stop it, guys! I know for a fact, if I was in their shoes and I heard all of you talking about me like this, I would be furious and I would never talk to you guys again. And that was hard. This hit me hard because I knew I should have stopped it right away after the fact. What was even worse is I was being a bad citizen to my community while discussing how we could all be good citizens to our community in our dorm. So now I'm, I've committed double hypocrisy if that's, if that's something that can actually be done. However, that young man who spoke up stopped us in our tracks, emphasized our sin to our brothers with righteous anger. He did the right thing in that situation because we became the very thing we were trying to improve upon in that moment. Every person in this congregation, anybody who's listening, any Christian who's ever lived, has been in a situation like this before. Because of our sin nature, we sin. And I want you to remember a few things as I mention this. When we sin, do not justify our sin. We have a lot of pride in our image, in our opinions, and in our reputation, even in our giftedness and our abilities. And we should be thankful for a lot of those things because God has created us in a very unique way. We have the personalities we do. We have the gifts that we do. We have people that help us thrive, and we're very happy to be a part of those people. But we want to protect that and make it appear like sometimes we're greater people that don't do anything wrong, even to the point of being dishonest about it, even us in the church. Paul says in Romans 3, verses 23 through 25, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are only justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. We all sin and fall short. We are justified by grace when we call on Jesus. So own up to your sin. There is no reason to brush it under the rug. Confess it to God. Confess it to a person you trust to hold you accountable and to help you own up to that so we can do as Jesus commanded and sin no more. For some reason, when it comes to faith in the American church, if a person who wears this Jesus badge is acting contrary to what the scriptures teach, and we might be concerned about it, we'll ask a brother how we could approach, a brother or sister, and we as Christians will often say, oh, that's between them and God, that's their business. And to, an, to some extent, that is true. But the point of being the body of believers, being the bride of Christ, is that it's everybody's business in the faith community to make sure that we are purified and, let, and that we are intentionally 
letting our Savior continue to sanctify us and purify us for himself. Why would we leave our brother or sister caught in a transgression? Why would we just say, let's leave that to them and God? Let me read for you quickly Galatians 6 verses 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, not slanderousness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you want to keep your reputation looking good, if you want to clear your conscience of any guilt, confess your sins to one another, church. I will tell you firsthand, I find myself being much more free and ready to approach our Savior and others when I have confessed my sin to people that I trust and I allow Jesus to wash my heart clean with his blood. Be free. Don't live in your sin. Don't bottle it up. Don't defend it, but confess it and ask the Lord to free you from that. We should not be in bondage. We have a community of believers surrounding us, and we all want to be more like Christ, and we do not want to be held in the trap of sin. So be free from it. Seek out people who can help. Immerse in the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And to do this, we have to be disciplined. We forget what we've been taught on how to do good works because we don't spend any time with the teacher. Dr. Brodigam, if you're listening, I hope you'd affirm this with me. We can't learn if we don't go to class, right? Or we can't have mutiny through reacting games if we're not in class. So we're missing out on some of the big parts of being present. And I hope you'll help, help me affirm that point. But going back, our Bibles collect dust on an end table or a shelf, or we have this Bible app conveniently kept on our smart devices, tucked away with a bunch of other apps that we don't use. We say a short prayer at dinner time, and we never immerse ourselves in the practice of prayer to acknowledge God for who He is, and we do not sit long enough in solitude, to listen to him instruct us through the Holy Spirit. We don't give much of an invitation. We ask for many needs, but we do not use prayer often as a means to get to know God intimately. And I need to be better at that myself. So, church, I'm telling you, you know, this is a communal thing. This is something that we're all working on. Jesus gave us the model on how we should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Spend time in the word. There are thousands of plans, methods, and great ways to get us to remember to read our Bible. We can set reminders and do all of that. But the truth is, if we do not take the initiative to pursue God and get to know Him through His Word, we just won't do it. We have to be disciplined. And we have to spend time with Him, even when it's hard and even when it's not convenient. 
we have to do these things. We have to create space as we would for a close friend, for family. We should, uh, we should be doing that for our Savior above all else. We need the Spirit to strengthen us so we can be better stewards of our time with God. I'll use an example that might help us out here, and I'm sorry for uh, any quarrels that I cause at home. So, husbands, you are married to your wife, and you love your wife, and you are proud to tell people that you love your wife. However, you never spend time with her because you are always busy with other things. You see her uh, with good quality time once a week to a few times a month, but you just mostly pass each other during the day. And you're communicating just to get some ins and outs done so you can keep functioning. And you don't really see how how this whole thing could be problematic because you're just so caught up in everything else. She's probably not going to be happy. She'll probably tell you that you'd better get your stuff together because I'm your wife and I need you to spend time with me daily because we are one. And she would be right. And we, as the church, are one with Christ. The Holy Spirit of the living God dwells within us, and we have been invited into a relationship with Him for eternity. We ought to reciprocate that. God paid a heck of a tall price for us, and we might try spending some time with Him. We need to spend time in the Word. We have to do our part. And to do our part, we also have to devote ourselves to good works. The book of James tells us in chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself does not have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. To be a good citizen in our communities, we must continue to meet the physical and spiritual needs of a world that so desperately needs both, especially in a time like this. Because of our faith, We will do good works. We will act differently than we used to, unselfishly instead of selfishly, because we are putting on the new self that Paul talks about, and we are becoming more like Jesus. Let our faith be spoken in word and action to a world that is so desperately seeking for hope. At the church I interned at this past summer, one of the pastors said during a morning service, My biggest fear is that somebody will not know that I am a Christian because of my actions. I think he is right. Not that we should be shuddering in fear because we're afraid we'll screw up. That's not what he was saying. But that we should be conscious of our actions and we should be aiming to live different from the rest of the world. John 4.4 tells us, Do you not know that a friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Love God. Show your faith by good works. 
be different from the world to show that you belong to the kingdom. You are a citizen of heaven. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your instruction. And thank you, King Jesus, for being the perfect human example, the perfect sacrifice. and just cleansing us from an iniquity that we cannot escape on our own. To you we owe all the glory. I pray that you fill our hearts, convict us, nudge on our soul, tug on us and let us be quick to be serving and compassionate to our brothers and sisters in the faith and to the world around us. Let us be your vessel to give hope to a world that desperately needs it. Let us be gospel people. Let us be a people of good works. And let us represent your name well. Bless each one of us as we part this week. Amen.